You're listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Outfluencer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell. And with me today, I have a really special guest. She's dear to my heart, Marisa Zalabak. Uh, She is the founder of Open Channel culture. She has a broad background. Uh, She's an educational psychologist. She, um, well, we did a TEDx thing in Farmingdale, New York together. She's a specialist in social, emotional, and creative intelligences, which I love. And um, she calls herself a researcher as well. Um, Also joining me, and you may see this or hear this if you're listening to the podcast, is my cat off to my left side. Uh, She will not leave me alone today. That aside, cat aside, (laughs) Marisa, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, and thank you for having me, Wayne. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, You've... You've done an amazing amount of work. You've uh, you've had over three decades doing coaching and training. Um, you are getting people to think creatively. You're teaching people how to be present uh, on Zoom, at least, uh, if not in meetings and more. You are involved with uh, climate initiatives. You have a ton of stuff going on. I would love to hear, let's back up a little bit. Did you grow up in New York? I did not grow up in New York, although I've been in New York now for 45 years, which I think makes me a New Yorker. But the I grew up actually in the Midwest. I grew up in Illinois and Wisconsin. Okay. And I moved to New York to come to college and uh, in the 1970s, uh, really at the height of um, the crazy 70s. And it was a very interesting place uh, then as it is now. But uh, no, I, I moved to New York from the Midwest. Very different experience. That's amazing. And you came, I mean, you came in the 70s, which means you came out of the 60s, which is also incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and- and you've been in New York for a while, obviously, most of your life at this point. What, where did you start? What did you study in college? Where did you think you wanted to go? Most of us, and I think this is a huge lesson because our, our listening audience ranges widely in age. And uh, I think it's a really important message that where we start is not where we end up and where we think we're ending up is not where we end up. (laughs) So, right. So often, right. It's very much road less traveled. You don't necessarily know where you're going to be. And um, I began, actually, I came to New York to go to college, but it was a conservatory school for performing arts. And so that was where I started. So I started my, you know, my life here in New York, uh, studying to become a pro- to, uh, to become a professional performing artist, which I did, and um, and so I lived in that world 
for many years. I performed in theater, you know, the New York Shakespeare Festival and public theater and Playwrights Horizons and those kinds of places, and also for film and television, you know, law and order and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was it's the standard stuff that most New York actors do. Um, and of course, in between that, I did the things that New York actors do, which is you wait tables mm. and you work in restaurants. And I was a production, I actually was the a pr- a production manager for a, a cable television show for a while. Um, you know, the number of things, right? Myriad uh, kind of it, professions that I, you know, went into short for short terms as I was building my, my career at that time. So you wanted to be an actress? Yes, and I was. And you, um, and you were. And I was. And it was a wonderful, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it is a, there, well, I've, been, I've gone back to acting several times. Um, and it's, you know, it's a highlight of my life. It's, a, it's one of those things that taught me an enormous amount of skills, uh, both for the theater and for performing and for life. And it's, in fact, a huge piece of what's informed my work now, right? Where we think they, they might feel disparate, I think, to what you were saying in the beginning, right? This yes. idea that they might feel like they're disparate, but in fact, there are connections to each each thing that we do contributes to the next thing, right? It's, um, it's incredible. You, um, you're doing a lot with social and cultural initiatives and looking at social and cultural change, both in the U.S. and around the globe. Can you talk a little about that or what's the bridge that got you from acting into what you're doing now? Sure. Um, So I ended up, you know, over the years doing many things. And in fact, even in that time period, I I owned a fitness center. Um, And in New York, really, I owned a fitness center in New York. And it was really quite wonderful and learned a lot doing that as well. And, um, you know, and that was, again, still in the midst of going back to theater. But then uh, I ended up having a child. And uh, I had been a teaching artist on and off through the years and had worked with young people and had worked with teachers in schools. When I was working in schools, very often they would have me work with the teachers to build their skills in a number of things, which turned out to be social emotional learning skills. At the time, nobody referred to them as such, right? Right. And I, uh, I began to get more interested. I had my child. I was teaching classes at a big organization in New York called Children's Aid Society. Hmm. And I was teaching educational content, regular academic content through movement and and music. And I created programs for them to teach content through movement and music. So I began, so as I was teaching um, movement and music to students and teaching academic content, uh, what they found is that the te- the students were actually learning more and being and responding more in my classes, and so they be- I began having me train teachers, and through that I began um, to wonder what was missing from teacher education, right? And it, it it can't be just arts, but there had to be something missing, so I decided to go back to school, 
and find out. And I ended up getting my first degree uh, was in education and theater. So using performing arts as a vehicle for education. Um, and in that, I discovered a number of things. And one of them was a, at that time, um, a field that was beginning to burgeon. It had been around for a long time, social emotional learning or social emotional intelligence, which Dan Goleman brought into the corporate world, mm-hmm. right, in the 1990s. Yes. Um, and the thing is that uh, although it had been around for a while and I, when I researched it, I found that there were certain organizations that were really moving this forward. And one of them was actually National School Climate Center. And I went to them and um, I said, I have no idea what you have available here, but um, I have these skills and I'm happy to create a program for you using creative arts to do what, to complete doing what you're doing, right? Or contribute. And they said, okay. <laughs> and, 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 this, great. You know, and the thing is in, you know, one of the reasons that story is funny in some ways is that in fact, that is the way that I've done many things in my life, right? I've gone in someplace and said, what do you think about this? And people will say, well, all right. And I'll, just start it, right? And create something. I think, so I want to pause you because there are two yeah. lessons, I think, um, uh, this is this is so important. Um, m- my style is to, is to pause my guests to highlight the, uh, the important lessons along the way. There are two things you, you said. One you implied, actually, which was you have a sense of what's missing. You right, so it's not like you're looking for what's wrong. Anybody can walk into, you know, the most beautiful cathedral and see a crack or a you know a missing tile, but it's like what is in a program, what's missing, and so to have this almost global view of it's supposed to be a round tire, but it's missing a chunk. I've, I can make this chunk. So I think that's that's really important that you explore with curiosity, that you're not exploring with judgment. What's missing is a huge thing. Um, and and like there's more. And so what you do then is value add and you have the guts to show up at an organization where you just go, hey, I can bring this Um how's that sound and and people respond to you with never thought about it that'd be awesome right so it's funny it's and thank you for mentioning that and catching that of course you know that's what you do is catch things beautifully right that's your that's your uh, part of your expertise is um you know, there, there's a beautiful Margaret Wheatley poem that one of the lines is, don't, um, don't ask what's wrong, ask what's possible. Yes. And I really love that. I mean, and that's a basic tenet that I think I learned in general being a performing artist. You know, as a performing artist, you're always looking for, you're, there's no such thing as perfection. There, you know that there isn't, right? You're always working on something yes so working toward that possibility working towards something you don't know what it is you know my one of my favorite things is that my daughter knows that my epitaph will read she's figuring it out 
I think that's a great epitaph. The other thing about perfection, and I want to I want to make sure that this is clear to our audience, is perfection is a verb. It's not a state. It is like you can't perfect something if it's not out there. And so many people hold themselves back from, you know, I can't, it's not perfect. I can't show it. It's like, it's perfect now. You do it and you perfect it. So you, you perfect it because it's perfect, right? And I think that that is also really important. Yeah, and they, again, it's, you know, I love, I love quotes. I do. But Pablo Casals is quoted as having said, they were like, master, why are you, why are you practicing? He was 90 years old or something. He said, why are you practicing? And he said, I think I'm getting the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's so good. <laughs> That's good. Um, so I love, I love that. I'm taking notes as I talk to you. So if you see me looking down or if my, table is shaking it's because of that um so wow so you got out there you said i've got this thing and and so talk about that talk about the talk about your work with the with uh social climate is that like am i blending well it's school climate which is interesting because school climate and then i learned right what they were doing and I began to facilitate not just what I wanted to be doing, but also what they were doing. And they had a greater purpose. So, or not a greater, a particular purpose, right? So there is something that, you know, there's culture. Culture yeah. exists, right? And we know about culture. And culture is one of those things I, I really focus on now, right? The culture of an organization. The, the thing is that a culture exists within a climate. So if you think of it, right, the way we think about the world, Right. That that we might I might go to the North Pole. That's the climate. What's the climate? What are and the culture is something that contributes to the overall climate. Right. Right. Thank you. Right. So that it's really understanding and people, they end up interchanging them. And I I don't like calling it a mistake. I think it's just a, a misconception. That I love I love that there's this umbrella, right, umbrella of of. Of climate, you know that that um, I did organization development for many, many, many years, and it was always a focus on culture, 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 and the experience was of the climate, without ever calling it that. And so this was that is huge what you just said and 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 that was you know that was really the man who founded it john cohen who was brilliant um you know he really he he was a psychologist who had a clinical psychologist and actually an educator who had realized that there was a piece missing we weren't we weren't looking we were only looking at culture and we weren't looking at what what is the climate people are walking into, right? What is, what is people's experience within this bigger, right? This bigger environment. Yes. Um, and it's that's important on so many levels. To yeah. me, it's important organizationally. It's important for our planet. You yes. know, it, it has so many different applications. And so what the organ, that organization was doing in particular was measuring, right? Was doing, using a mix, uh, a mixed method of qualitative and quantitative assessment 
to determine what was the existing climate in a formative way rather than an analytical way that we're going to report on later but how can we be formative yes. and then um and then use that to find out what what are the things that we what for using that for strategic planning what can we now do to address these challenges i love that your bio and i didn't say this at the beginning i love that your bio talks about your uh your focus on I'm going to just read it organizational cultures um, to foster engagement, motivation, creativity, and joy. And um, that presupposes a direction, right? Uh, or an outcome. It's, it presupposes that organizations actually want joy. <clears throat> That's quite a conversation to start with, isn't it? It is. And it's that for me, this is this is a this is probably my biggest driving force behind all of the work that I'm doing, uh, whether it's in schools, in corporate organizations, um, and even in AI, the AI work, because that's another thing, but I'm doing a lot of work in the ethics of artificial intelligence, is this idea that that's really what drives human beings right we you know people want happiness people want joy right they you know and they use all kinds of words for it and yet we have in both environments and behaviors mm -hmm. that do not lend themselves to be being joyful right because joy being joyful is like being happy it's a practice it's not an outcome necessarily Right. But it is, or it, I'll say, as the Italians say, la tutti due and CMA, it's the two things together. It's both a practice and an outcome. It can be, right, can, it can be an experience and a practice. But this idea that we bring our humanity, ideally, we bring our humanity into our workspaces. And, and all the studies show that this is what people really want. And yet somehow we keep avoiding it. We talk about soft skills mm. when, in fact, when in fact, there's nothing soft about them. <laughs> and there's certainly nothing necessary. You know, there's easy and hard about it, about doing it, but they're practices. And we need them not just in school, we need them in businesses and we need them in, we need them in government and even the world health or not the world health world economic forum lists social and emotional intelligence as one of the five top skills for the future yeah. you know that's it's it's huge and that's global that's not just the united states well that's the global. the polls i believe it's the gallup polls year after year after year in uh, surveying employees about what it, what's their biggest desire. Salary is number five, right? One, give me something meaningful to do. Two, tell me you see me, acknowledge me, right? Acknowledge me that that you see the the work I do. Acknowledge me as a human, and I I love that. This is that we do bring, or we can, with consciousness, bring humanity back to the workplace. Yeah. I just think, I also think that there is, and I, that's one of the reasons I love your work so much, but it's also, you know, this is, it's fear, right? We have, we have this fear that, that, that paying attention to our humanity is mutually exclusive of productivity. 
Mm. Right. Because we still have a misconception that our brains and our bodies and ourselves are like machines. We're comparing ourselves to machines. And in fact, that's one of the issues with AI. People are so afraid that AI will take over their jobs. Well, actually, no, because AI is just about repeatable tasks. So if we and human interaction is not a repeatable task. It's an, it's a, no. right? That's the role of human beings is to be better at being human. There's the quote. <laughs> and, and how do we, but we, the thing is, and I don't, there's no blame in this. It's that we're not, we are not encouraged or supported to develop skills and it's not like you know I, one of the things i i do have to say i have a i have a little pet peeve about you know somebody is, is emotionally intelligent and somebody is not right and they you I've, they have checked the box right i'm socially emotionally competent the reality is life happens something happens are you know a pandemic social injustice uh, you know, the climate change, some, a family member dies. We have things that happen. Mm -hmm. And when those happen, they do shake our ability to cope for moments, right? And then our ability to move back into functioning well, because that's always the goal is to function well, is really about being able to say, you know what? I really need to relook at that. I I'm not like done. I'm not finished, right? I always say nobody gets a certificate of completion in social emotional intelligence, right? You know, you don't, it's like, oh, check that box. Yeah, well done, right? <laughs> right, it's like, it, you know, my it, the idea is, I mean, you know, at this age, at my age, I feel like, you know, I'm getting better at this. <laughs> Right. I've been doing it. For the hang of it. Right. right. It's, it's, the, it's why I love the Casals quote so much yes. Yes. is that I think and in, the more we can embrace that, that we are all striving, we're all working on this and we all do. And every single per, and I really do believe this. I believe that every single person has some beautiful strength and probably more than one. Yes. And that. We live in this kind of judgmental bubble that says, no, this is what's valuable and this what isn't is what's not. And I think it's just it's a it's a it's a much bigger way of thinking about the world. It would also, to me, and this is another talk, but to me, it would also it also applies to how we think of equity in the world. Because if we begin to understand that everyone has gifts, everyone has strengths. Right. Imagine, imagine what that would be if we really went, oh, See, people... now you're, you're speaking my language now. Right. This is one of the things that, that I and I think that that's why we resonated. So um, I want to point out a key concept that you've brought up without actually stating it. And so I want to I want to state it, which is what makes you good at this is that you chose deliberately to attend to it, right? The, that uh, it's easy. This is the curse of knowledge. Well, just because I know something, everybody else should know it or think this way. The, the truth is, unless you're paying attention to what gift might the other person have, 
you're going to assume that the other person's going to be similar to you and or or assume vastly different right in tribe or out tribe instead of exploring what is that bridge what is unique about them and that i believe creates the 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 climate of curiosity creates the culture of bonding and i think that that is huge that it is a that it's a deliberate practice right it's it's a deliberate practice of curiosity of um who is this other person what might i offer them and what might they offer me in terms of who they are that can be done on the street in the grocery store at home because the person that is in your home isn't the same person they were five years ago, 10 years ago, or, you know, even if you go more recent, two years ago, or even yesterday, like we're all changing. And that goes also for the person in the mirror, right? Who am I today? Who am I becoming? And I just, I wanted to bring all this together because what you're saying is so beautiful. So, um, yeah, it's a, make it a deliberate practice, I think is a, is a, core concept here it's a series of deliberate practices you know i mean part of what drove me honestly was that there were a number of elements to social and emotional intelligence i wasn't so good at right so it was how can i be how can i be a better me mm -hmm. right how can i do this better how can i how can i in and and I and I think that improvement is not some just a singular goal because I think you know there are times in our lives that are like wait man I was in great shape then and then you know it kind of everything got blasted all over the place, right? And that happens to all of us, but it's the ability to kind of and and I think there's a grace to it, right? There's a grace. It's Love both that word. It's, right. It's a grace that we give ourselves. It's and then and when I when I I. I, I, it may be a Brene Brown quote, but it's about we can't show compassion to someone else unless we have compassion for ourselves. And I know Dalai Lama has said this and Thich uh, Nhat Khan and, you know, but this idea that it, if if we really genuinely cannot have that kind of compassion and grace with ourselves, we can think we have it for others. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it may not necessarily be all the way there. Right. It's uh, at what level are you are you uh, resonating in the world? At what level can you recognize that there's still more? Like you, we and grace, right? And grace doesn't have to again be mute. Having grace for oneself and others is not mutually exclusive from saying. I also have integrity and I want quality. Yes. You know, yeah. that's the problem. That's the, what happens with when people go, oh no, you know, we don't, you know, yeah, yeah, we know about soft skills. Yeah, 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 we know about soft skills. And it's like, do you understand how hard those soft skills are? So, <laughs> or what you refer to as soft skills? So yeah. it's, it's, right, it's, it's that in fact, we can be more productive. We can be more creative we can generate more 
I think, I believe, and this is my belief, but I believe that we can generate, and there's lots of research on it, but I, you know, I always say, listen, it has to resonate with you personally. Did you ever feel like you couldn't say what you wanted to say? Not because you didn't have the words, but because you weren't sure if it was okay to say them? You might have felt like you wanted more in your life, like you wanted more from your life. You're not alone. It's time to stop asking for permission to live and to step into who you deserve to be at home, at work, and in the world. There's a wonderful online group program. People just like you joined because they also felt like they wanted to do more, have more, and be more. The ache is real, and the hope, action, and outcome, the breakthrough to success, that's all real too. Join the Powerful Presence program now. It's an hour a week for three months. Details are at PowerfulPresence.com. Go to PowerfulPresence.com to register today. PowerfulPresence.com You said that uh, that there's a fear that attending to humanity is basically anti-efficiency or anti-productivity. And um, I use fear as kind of a trigger word and substitute it with um, threat to identity. Mm. So when there's a fear, it's like, so what is the threat to identity? And it's a threat to a cultural identity of let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. When in fact, understanding another human, human to human, allows us to go, allows us with uh, a single word. You know, the, the family members sometimes have that knowing nod or whatever. It's like, And if you are working so closely together that you understand the humanity of somebody else, you can, you can pass work and agreements and get work, work, get working agreements for what's next simply because you understand the other person. And you've chosen the the quote unquote soft skills. It's a really that's a hard term for me to say soft skills, and it's not it's not love, it's hard to say. It's just right. But I love the, I love the turnaround to or the connection of fear to identity because it's it's both psychological and emotional, which you know all feeds into when people talk about what is psychological safety because they talk about it like it's this thing and nobody really understands it, right? So. But it, that that ultimately that is what you are tending to, mm-hmm. right? By saying, by asking the question, yes, right. By asking that question, yes. it's it's lovely. I I love that. It's great. So, um, so talk about the kind of work you do. Like you come into an organization, you say, "Look at what you're missing and what's possible." And they go, Marisa, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> and, yeah. and then what? I, I actually go into an organization and first find out what their strengths are. Okay. Good. Right. Yeah. I, right. what I love that. Right. What are your strengths? I mean, you know, as as a as a teacher, as an educator, I'm always come from a glow grow model. Right? Is that people are willing 
people and people understandably and reasonably so who I don't want to tell anybody something if they're going to come in and hit me over the head from the beginning. Right. It's like, why would I want to do that? So, you know, coming in and finding out what are their strengths because everyone has them. What are their challenges, not their problems? What are their challenges? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, we problems almost are, you know, that's a predictive Right. And that's a prescriptive. That's like, oh, that's the problem. And it's like, I don't know what your problem is. You're going to have to we're going to have to uncover that because that is it is going to require real curiosity without an agenda. I don't have an agenda when I go in because I can't. It, that would be a cookie cutter. Right. I have each it, it what I've worked in hundreds of schools hundreds. I've worked in dozens of organizations. I go in, there's no two that are the same. I don't care, right? Right. You go in, it can be in the same building, serving the same population, and you go in and there is a different climate, there is a different culture, and there are different individual human beings in that, right? So look, so I beginning with strengths, looking at the challenges and then more than beginning with the leaders, because it really does, it's, it's essential to look at what's happening with the leaders. You know, we can be prescriptive about our teams. Yes. But if we're not modeling it, if we're not walking the walk. I've seen it all too often. Right. I've seen it all too often where it's like, well, you you need to fix your culture, right? (laughs) Leaders, leaders will say, we want a strong culture. Um, And then, don't take steps themselves to actually step in and model it, demonstrate it, engage with other people. Yeah. yeah, It's one of the wonderful things I ended up doing. um, I've I've gotten involved in MIT has something called the Presencing Institute. And it's about uh, working with leadership for the emerging future, because our future is, you know, I mean, it's Mr. Toad's wild ride. (laughs) We don't know what it's going to be. Right. (laughs) And well so, said. <laughs> so being able to be not just adaptive, but agile and also being aware, there's a real awareness in the in that model for how do we become aware of everything that we affect, right? Because we affect, every, I, you know, we can pretend it's it's only in a limited sphere, but in fact, we just like dropping the, you know, the stones in the water. We have everything we do affects everyone around us. And so there's a very, uh, there's a very um, kind of macro understanding, right? In this, in this kind of learning simultaneously with an understanding that the micro affects the macro and you cannot separate them. How do you bring that to leaders who, who just want, you know, fix them. And, and I've seen this, you know, years and years and years ago when I was doing couples and family work, it was fix the child or, you know, fix my wife, fix my husband. It was, it was that. And the work was, well, we have to fix the unit. It's not right. It's, it's not one person that needs fixing. It's, I think I think where I learned my approach to this is in conflict mediation. Uh, I have a huge background in doing conflict mediation and do that in all in both organizations and individuals. So how do you get the leaders to understand that um, their participation is so important? 
because once we can establish and it, doing it in a very, it has to really come from a place of, of generosity, uh, but coming from helping them, supporting them discover where they are in the conflict, where they are in the problem. And, you know, that is, it's always a problem with, and you know this from couples therapy, right? People go, it was all him, it was all her, it was all him, mm -hmm. you know, and it was all them. And growth doesn't come in conflict mediation until both people realize, or both parties, I'll say, realize and can understand their own plot, their own role in the conflict. And so it was, it's difficult work, but it's actually really interesting work. And I have found multiple, I mean, one of the organizations I work with is spectacular. They do this with the UN, they do it with all over the place. A million peacemakers, fantastic. But um, that is, I've done uh, conflict mediation for many, many years in restorative circles, which is again, a gout, uh, very often about conflict. And it really, that's what I bring to the leaders. What can, how, can, how can I help you understand where you are in this constellation, right? We're that's in a constellation. So how can I help you understand where you are in the constellation so that you can, and if you, and, and, and coming from the fact that I want you to be the keystone. I want you to be the leader. I want you, I want you. Right, that that's that. My goal is to support you being the best leader that you can be. And there is right, and and here and no, and and really coming from that, not as in my agenda, but as my because I don't want to work if I don't. I have had people I go, you know, they're really nice. I don't think this is a fit. Yeah. Right. Right. This is great. The um, that's also a great self exploration question. How can I find out more about where I am in the constellation? I think is a great, great exploration. Um, you know, I've been taking notes along the way. You said something that I think could be a uh, a core concept that you deliberately teach which is being adaptive, agile, and aware, your three A's. I don't know if you've ever put it together that way. Thank you. <laughs> because, I'll take that, it. yeah, that was awesome. Being, you know, that's what, how powerful would any organization or individual be if we could say, I am adaptive, I am agile. I'm aware. And my big thing, you know, in my first book, I, uh, I talk about spiraling toward freedom um, in, in choosing your power. Spiraling toward freedom, you get freedom through awareness because awareness leads to choice. Choice leads to greater awareness. Awareness leads to choice. Choice leads to greater awareness. And the, that's an expansive uh, spiral. So, so when you're adaptive, agile, and aware, it's like, that's a powerful organization. I love that. You didn't even know you said it. No, I didn't. And I am grateful. Thank you. You know, it'd be, you're you know, brilliant. And I, yeah, and I will it's say, just and rolling I will, out of you. And I will say, you know, the thing is, those are things I have to credit having spent years in the discipline of the arts. Yeah. 
because those are things that you, if you're on a stage. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know. I mean, and that, and I've had this where one of the actors, uh, wigs catches on fire. Jimmy Smith's wig caught on fire on stage. And, you know, you want to talk about adaptive? You want to talk about agile? You want to talk about being aware? Right? There it went. And so those are things, and and every actor, any dancer ever talks to you, they always tell you the disaster stories. Sure. Because those are the ones where you had to do that. And we don't want to be encouraging disasters. I'm just saying we can learn, right, that disasters aren't the end point. Right. We still, I mean, we're still studying Apollo 13. It's, I mean, in terms of adaptive, it's, it is huge. Awareness leads to choice, right? So once we're aware of a situation, we have a a choice about, um, (laughs) do I put out the wig or do I just say, here I am being a hothead? Like, (laughs) Depending on what happens, you'll figure it out, right? That goes back to my epitaph. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, and that's huge too. The idea of, I mean, you, there comes a, pl- a point where you say, I do have the confidence to figure it out. Mm. That at some point you go, I, uh, I've withstood enough that I know I can get through pretty much anything at this point. And, you know, one of the one of the messages I like to give is you. You are as old as you've ever been, like you got here, something got you here. You talked about strengths. It's like your strengths got you here through the pandemic. We have been resilient. We have been courageous every day. The rules change Mm -hmm. two and a half years ago. If someone had said you're going to wake up with new rules for living every single day. Won't that be great? You'd go, no. Um, And yet we've done it. We've done it, right? And so, and businesses are doing it. And as individuals, we're doing it. And now businesses are in a place of organizations, I should say, beyond business. Organizations, including family organizations, families, are learning how to be resilient. Yeah. They're learning how to be, how to create new, new rules and adaptive. And that only comes from awareness. And I think that that is part of a conversation, you know, that happens internally. So I love this. I love everything about what you've sparked because it's just, it, it's, it's great. It's just great. Um, so where's next? Like, where are you headed next? Well, I'm, I'm working on a, a few things. I'm working on my, you know, I'm always working on my business. Uh, and simultaneously, I'm working on a, an initiative called the Human Arts Lab, which is about reimagining education with the essential skills, human skills for the future, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, talk, we're talking about the same things. And I, when I, ha- I have a, a vision and a program that I really want to see put in globally for education for K through 12. Um, that's a longer term project. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm also working, I'm on the education committee for IEEE, which is uh, one of the two big engineering, international engineering organizations that determines ethics for AI design. And 
so I am, um, I've been contributing, uh, contributing author on their current recommendations for the ethics related to human well-being. And they brought in people like me, you know, I'm not an engineer. Are you kidding? I didn't even know about AI. Like I didn't know anything about AI, but they brought people, multidisciplinary people in to not only consider the issues that affect us all, but also now I'm on a committee that is talking about how do we educate people in universities? How do we educate K through 12? How do, you know, how do we educate people about the things that are really important that will affect us as advanced technology continues to develop? And so this is really interesting to me. Um, and that's, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of, you know, honestly, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit of a learning junkie. So I'm, you know, if somebody tells me something, that'd be hard to tell, right. If somebody <laughs> tells me something new, I mean, I learned all about SDGs and triple bottom line investing and, and all of those things because somebody invited me somewhere and I went, all right, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's, and I'm also involved in that, in, in uh, initiatives to begin to really encourage B corporations and triple bottom line investing in corporations so that people are really talking about people, planet, and profit, and getting profit through serving people in the planet, right? Right. So uh, that's kind of, the, that's my focus right now, several foci, I will, I suppose that is. Um, and I'm writing a book um, on unlearning. Nice. Nice. Very important work, all of it. Um, this is fabulous. The People Planning, uh, People, Planet and Profit is a, I think it's a huge initiative. I think, um, uh, that bridge absolutely needs to be there. We, you know, nobody says, "Oh, we're going to uh, we're going to focus on on people without there being some kind of bottom line somewhere." So, um, that's that's awesome. And I also applaud the idea of you being a continuous learner on purpose. A lot of people are exposed to a lot of information. We are all exposed to a lot of information. And a lot of people's response is, that's too hard. Mm. Right? That's too hard or that's not me. How do you know it's too hard? You don't until you actually step in and go, hmm, I wonder what that's about. So someone offers you an opportunity and you go, all right, let's see. You know, I love that. I just love that. So um, this is awesome. If uh, if the audience, if my listeners and viewers want to reach out to you, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, they can reach out to me on my website, uh, openchannelculture.com. Uh, they can also reach me at Marisa Zalabak uh, through LinkedIn, right? Marisa Zalabak is direct through LinkedIn. And uh, they can also reach me, mzalabak at openchannel.com. Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. Yeah. They can also, uh, and they can yours as well. I'm just going to, you know, uh, plug that about. They can they can reach both of our TEDx's. Yes. On YouTube, on the TED, on the TED, TED.com. Yes, that's awesome. Yes, our TEDx's are 
uponted.com. Um, so good. So very good. Any, <laughs> I hate to phrase it this word, way. Any last words? Any, any uh, final thoughts that you'd like to offer here? Um, well, since I'm a little bit of a, you know, I love my quotes. Uh, I love um, your quotes too. Yeah, I'll leave one more. And it's, a, it's one, but it's uh, Marcel Proust. Uh, and I'll read it because I'm a terrible malaprop. You know, it's like I, I'm always <laughs> misphrasing things. I, I was like, really, don't, somebody does not want me to necessarily. That's why I always like I have to check my quotes. Um, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscape landscapes, but in having new eyes. Oh, I love that. Okay. Right. Every day look anew. That's so good. So good. Thank you. Thank you for being here. This is um, amazing. And I really, I really, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. And I appreciate being here. Thank you very much for having me. Yay. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. My guest, Marisa Zalabak. And I am Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Outfluencer, and your Success Breakthrough Coach. Thanks for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Outfluencer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. For more information, please go to onesharpsword.com.